Welcome to the Business of Psychology podcast, the show that helps you to reach more people, help more people, and build the life you want to live by doing more than therapy. Hello, and before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to give you a little update on what's going to happen with this podcast over my maternity leave. Because if you've been listening for a while, then you'll know that from October the 14th, I'm going to be on maternity leave, probably coming back at some point in January, but no specified date yet. But fear not, this podcast is one of my favourite things to do. And I really value you guys as listeners. I don't think I tell you enough. I'm often told by people in my life that I'm not very good at giving compliments. And I think that has uh, translated into my podcasting. And I don't tell you guys how much I appreciate you as much as other podcasters do. And I I really do, though. (laughs) And as I said, I love recording this podcast. I love writing the content for the podcast. And I love doing the interviews. So... The podcast shall continue. Um, We've already recorded, in fact, most of the episodes that are going to go out across my maternity leave. However, there will be some breaks. So in order to make sure we're giving you content consistently, we've, we've planned to take a few breaks of just a week or two weeks here and there, where we're going to have a little pause in the content Uh, just so that we can keep up with ourselves and make sure it keeps going through the whole maternity leave period. So the best thing you can do to make sure that that doesn't disrupt you and that you don't miss any of the episodes that we put out there is to make sure that you subscribe to this podcast. So whatever podcast app you use, whether it's Apple, Spotify, um, Google Podcasts, or we're on Amazon now as well, you can click the subscribe button and this podcast will be delivered to you every week. Um, every week that we put one out so please do make sure that you're subscribed so that you don't miss any of the episodes that we do put out there another thing that i'd uh, like to encourage you to do if you haven't done it already is please 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 leave us a review so you might have seen the podcast is starting to do quite well in some of the charts and we're picking up a bit of traction which is amazing but the way that apple decides how many people get to see this podcast is by how many reviews it's got So please, if you haven't done so yet, leaving us a review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts, it really makes a big difference to how many people can find us. So I'd really appreciate it if you could put the word out there for me just by leaving us a quick review. All right, on with the episode. Today I'm here with Catherine France and Catherine is a very useful person to know. She's a friend of mine but she's also an expert in insurance and we have lots of questions and anxieties around insurance Catherine. So I'm very very happy to have you here today to answer some of those questions that come up when we're setting up in private practice and when we're thinking about doing more than just therapy in our practices. So welcome to the podcast Catherine. Thank you, Rosie. It's lovely to be here. And yes, you're right. I uh, I do love talking about insurance, but I'm hopefully going to allay some of your uh, fears of uh, your audience um, and uh, and kind of explain it in uh, plain English. <laughs> Definitely uh, the plan. 
Well, I should say from the beginning that um, Catherine has really helped me sort out my own insurance arrangements. I was super anxious um, when I started doing online courses and I started offering coaching. Um, I was really scared about what would happen if somebody downloaded my course, if they were abroad. Um, So I had a consultation with Catherine a couple of years back now, Mm. and it really helped me. And I don't think I would have grown Psychology Business School or any of that stuff without that consultation. So I think insurance is really important and also exciting. (laughs) (laughs) That's very kind of you to say so. I don't think most people would find it very exciting, but I suppose... um, We don't do ourselves any favours in the insurance business and we can use a lot of jargon and we can make it seem very complicated. And I think what I enjoy doing um, from a communication perspective is taking it and explaining it in simple terms and explaining why people need particular types of insurance, because I think you can think, you know, you can think you need all sorts of things and it, it might, that might be correct, but it could also be that there's things you don't need. So I think what we'll explore today are some of those, the key themes and um, uh, and explain why people need different types of insurance. And, and as you say, whether you've got clients in the UK or overseas, you know, how that might affect um, the types of insurance you need. And, and also if you, you know, you, uh, extend your business to sell um, you know other products or, or services as well so yeah we'll definitely get that covered brilliant so before we get into all of that good stuff mm. how did you come to work in insurance <laughs> <laughs> well I've never ever met anybody who grew up wanting to work in insurance um, and I, I'm certainly not one of those either I fell into it after university um, by answering a job in the local paper and um, I joined a local insurance broker and, and it really started from there. So I've probably got 20 years insurance experience now, which is a scary thought. Um, and I've worked for um, local brokers, global brokers. Um, I worked for a managing general agent at one point, which is very dull. And um, But I think the theme throughout my career is I've always kind of done an element of um, training and um compliance as well and I think through sort of taking people through those things it's it's kind of spurred me on to try and help insurers do a better job of explaining what they do to their clients so there's kind of two parts to my work there's the work I do with small business owners which is um what I helped you with which is explain you know taking talking to them about what they do and then what insurance they need to to protect their businesses Um, and then the other half of what I do is I write content for insurers and brokers um, so they can talk to small business owners in you know in ways that are much more engaging than the standard I'm an insurance broker you need insurance please buy it so (laughs) so that's kind of what I enjoy doing and it's those kind of light bulb moments I suppose when people go ah yes that's what I need I now get it and then they can skip off happily and arrange their insurance and feel confident that they've got all the protection they need. It's so important because I do think that people either go one of two ways with their insurance often it's either bury the head in the sand and don't get the right insurance because it's so difficult to understand kind of what they need and that's obviously quite a dangerous and risky position to be in Or equally, I see a lot of people that go the other way and really over insure 
mm-hmm. um, and pay massive premiums for things that they're never going to need yeah. uh, just because it's like, oh, chuck money at it, make it go away. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think what you do really empowers people in their businesses and is, is very, very important work. Yeah, I, I like how you put that. But I think it is, it's, it's not necessarily you know, a purchase that feel, you know, makes you feel warm and fuzzy, I suppose. It's, it can be a, a stress purchase. You feel like you've got to buy it. But I think when you understand it, you know, you, you work so hard to build a business, you know, as a business owner, that's your livelihood. It could be your pension, you know, not buying any insurance to protect that just kind of seems mad. Um but on the other hand, you know, you you buy insurance and in, with the hope you're never going to use it. So it's, you know, unusual from that point of view. Um, but when you do need to use it, you need to make sure that you've got the right cover and that those claims are going to get paid. And, you know, that process is going to be as, as smooth as possible. So, so, yeah, I definitely think it's worth everyone listening to this, just sitting down for five or ten minutes and thinking, right, what insurance have I got? have I got, you know, have I got any, (laughs) you know, if I have, does that actually, you know, hopefully from what they're going to hear, then they'll be able to say, yeah, I think that, I think that's right. Or no, I need a bit more help or I need to, you know, I need to find out a bit more about some things. So. Excellent. So if we start then with a kind of average psychology or therapy private practice. So this might typically look like somebody who, sees clients either face-to-face in a therapy room or sees clients online via a platform like Zoom. Um, But they're just offering one-to-one therapy sessions and maybe supervision to other psychologists and therapists. What kind of insurance do they need to be looking at? Well, I think the main thing um, is probably the liability aspect um, of, of insurance. But having said that, it's probably worth going back to kind of the basics as well in terms of thinking, where are you working from? So if you're working from home, um, does your home insurer know you're running a business from home? So it's always important to tell them they would consider that what's known as a material fact. So they would definitely want to know about that. Probably wouldn't change your premiums, but they just want to know that you're running a business from the premises. Or if you're renting space or an office space or you have a building you own that you work from then it's making sure that you've got the the insurance for that Um, and also your contents insurance so business equipment and contents that you might have Um, and any business interruption insurance so if if something happens that stops you working from those premises now that might not apply if you're working from home but if you've got an office or um a building that you're working from then then business interruption is definitely worth considering ah so that comes um, under the buildings insurance it does typically because it would be an in, it would be something that stopped you working at the premises so if the roof oh. falls in or there's a leak or a fire and you can't work from there then um you typically need um alternative accommodation to work from now i work from home i don't have business interruption insurance because I I kind of assess the risk and say, well, actually, I could pretty much work from anywhere with an internet connection. Mm -hmm. So as long as I've got my laptop and my phone, I'm fine. I'm not, you know, there isn't going to be an element of lost earnings or anything like that, really. And 
my business might you know if there's a leak at home I might just stop working for a couple of hours it's not not a long period of time um whereas with premises and things like that it can be a lot more complicated and you could be out of action for a longer period so it's definitely something worth considering um and then we get really get down to the, the liability aspect then which is um public liability so causing harm or damage to another person mm-hmm. um so if i came to you for a session and um i tripped over a cable in your office and sprained my ankle and i can't work for a week i'd probably come to you for some sort of financial compensation for that um at which point it'd be a claim against your public liability insurance um that could also be um if, if you're working from home it could be that the postman comes onto your property and trips over and exactly the same happens it could be the, you know lots of people during lockdown have been using lots of online retailers for regular deliveries <laughs> <laughs> certainly know I was especially during the homeschooling phase and <laughs> so you know anything like that um you're responsible if they those people injure them or or you cause damage to to their property so it's worth thinking about that um the potential exposure you've got there um it tends to be as well when you buy public liability you also get an element of product liability um which we might come on to slightly later because that might be helpful for people that um are also selling products um and employers liability so if you've got any employees then that's the one that you're legally obliged to buy so it's definitely a, a must um but um, for um, for your audience, I think it's going to be public, uh, professional indemnity insurance is going to be the one. I mean, yeah, that's that the big one. All, all probably required to have, although probably not legally, morally and professionally, it's definitely one to buy. Um, so professional indemnity cover um, provides um, protection for accusations of negligence. Um, if you've not done something, properly um it could be malpractice all those kinds of horrible things that we hope is never going to happen i'm very you know fingers crossed it won't um but it would cover the legal costs in defending a claim so it could be that a claim's made against you and you haven't done anything wrong but you've still got to go through the process of of defending it and um, responding i suppose so the insurer would do that on your behalf um Professional indemnity cover also um, usually includes things like libel, slander, defamation, and also copyright infringement, um, which I think is really important if you're publishing work. Um, I mean, that could be as simple as a blog. We've seen people who tweeted something that has then become a court case. Um, You know, if somebody thinks you've said something defamatory against them um, or copied their work, then they could easily, you know, take offence and, and, and make a claim against you. Um, so I think it's it, it's really important to, to think about that. Um, but am I right in thinking that there's um, a professional organisation that you're all members of that provide a, a policy for you? Is that still the case? I know when we spoke... No, so th- there's a couple... So we used to be regulated, uh, so psychologists used to be regulated by the British Psychological Society. Um, and they do have some recommended providers. So 
we tend most of us will tend to look at what who they're recommending and get our policy from one of those people mm. and they're they're sort of the big hitters so you've got Towergate um I think Howden and and Oxygen um who oh, okay. that, that's the one that I'm with but they're all underwritten by even bigger companies so my insurance is actually Hiscox uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah it's just calling itself oxygen which also calls itself gelf it's oh, very yeah. confusing yes, for everybody it but yes, it's quite incestuous the inter- insurance world um, it's crazy but but yeah so th- there are those and those tend to be the ones that people look to mm-hmm. but actually for other um, professions like you know therapists psychotherapists I don't know that there is that kind of clear cut. This is the place that you go. Mm, I think they've probably got similar schemes. And I think what you benefit from is reduced rates. So you're paying less than if you just went out into the mainstream insurance market. Um, uh, Because I think you probably have quite high limits of of cover, don't you? Yeah. So this is something that I was going to ask you about, actually, Mm. because you always get a choice. You can always go for, I think it's like 1 million, 5 million or 10 million. Mm. Um, and people often say to me, you know, what do we need? <laughs> and I don't know. <laughs> so I thought I'd ask you, <laughs> which yes, one of those should we go oh, for? Do you know what? I'd be on a yacht somewhere if I knew the answer to this. Um, so things like public liability insurance, they do, you tend to get 1 million, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million. And most people would probably go you consider the 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 amount of a claim that could be made against you and then make a judgment about how much insurance you want to buy it could be that contractually you have a client who says you need to have five million pounds worth of public liability insurance yes I have come across that sometimes if you're working um, as a contractor for a company they will demand that yeah. And I mean, employer's liability is usually £10 million. It's kind of like an industry standard. I think the, the legal requirements lower, but the pro, the premium that you pay £10 million is, is kind of a, a standard amount. But professional indemnity insurance is really difficult to know, purely because you're being asked to guess what the maximum financial loss is that you could cause if you do something wrong in your business so you know if there was a magic formula to say yes you take this number and times it by that and divide it by the number of letters in the name of your first pet (laughs) it'd be dead easy wouldn't it so I'd love to be able to say yes you all need x amount of cover but it is going through that that thought process so it could be again it could be that contractually somebody says right you need to have five million pounds worth of professional indemnity insurance 10 you know whatever that is so then you would make a decision that that or build that cost of that insurance into the price of the work you do for them do that um or you've really got to think about what is the most a claim is likely to be if i worked with a client would they want their money back? Would it be as simple as that? Do they want a refund? Um, do I have to put, you know, is it going to be the cost of putting something right? So particularly where, um, you know, not, not in your line of work, but if it was an architect or somebody like that who've done something wrong, then it's going to be fixing it, basically. So 
it's worth thinking about some of those things and thinking, right, well, how, how, how much is that likely to cost the person who's making the claim against me, I suppose. So, yeah, sorry, it's a bit like a politician's answer, isn't it? Kind of impossible to but know. And I always is, end up yeah. going in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And all, well, I mean, the, the other one is, and it's, it, it's similar with cyber insurance, is you buy as much cover as you can afford. Mm. Which, again, might not be a lot to some people because they might just be starting out in their business. They might not be making lots of you know money, but it's worth having a look. And also, I think it's important as well, if you're getting a quote for professional indemnity insurance, um, and I do suggest people do this, um, is get a quote for several different limits of indemnity. Yes, yeah. Um, because I think if you got um, a quote for a million, a quote for two million and a quote for five, it's not logical that the difference in the premium amount is the same, unfortunately. Um, due to the wonderful way insurance works, it could actually, the difference in premium could be a lot, you know, a lot less than the, than the ratio between the gaps, if you see what I mean. I'm not yeah, I've that. really noticed that. I, yeah. I did notice last time I renewed my policy, I did that because you gave me that advice a couple <laughs> of years ago. Um, and actually the difference between 1 million and 10 million was very little on my premium. Um, what 10 times the premium. No, nothing yeah. like it. Not, not even double. Um, no. Yeah. So I, I decided to go for that just because I was like, well, yeah. it's it's not much and it gives me a bit of extra peace of mind um and there are some contracts um which do require a higher level and I don't know maybe I'll go for one of those in the next year or so so I thought it was worth it so de- that's really good advice yeah. uh, one thing I wanted to check out with you oh yeah is I, I might be completely wrong about this but do they sometimes bundle up professional indemnity insurance and public liability? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You could get a, um, a small business insurance package that would give you the option to include your buildings, business contents, um, cyber liability. So public liability, employers liability, professional indemnity. Absolutely. Um, and also then there's insurers that just do the package for the liability sections so if you actually said, well, I work from home and all that's included under my home insurance, you could buy a package that covered you for the liabilities as well. So I think that's definitely a good thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So it's worth cool. having a look at because I think the policy that I have with Oxygen is professional indemnity and public liability. Yeah. So it's definitely worth having a look and checking which sections are being covered by your policy. Mm. Um, think, you don't want to pay twice no you don't but also the from an administration point of view if you've got one policy that covers all the sections that you need it to cover then that's just one policy that you've got to review each year you've not got four or five insurance policies all over the place which is can be a little bit of a nightmare to to look after I suppose mm. um the other thing I was going to say with reference to professional indemnity insurance um which I'm thinking is probably relevant is um, whether or not it includes abuse cover. Mm. Um, Now I back in my um, corporate account exec days, I looked after the wildlife trusts, um, which was really good fun. Um, But one of the things that, because they used to run like children's groups for 
different wildlife trusts and you could you know they do summer camps you know think all things like that so obviously one of the things they needed as a charity was abuse cover um now at the time that was an addition to their professional indemnity policy so I do think it's worth people checking um it does mean reading an insurance policy so apologies for that um but it is worth checking to see whether that's um something that you think could be a risk you could be at risk of an accusation of abuse um, and checking whether that's included under your policy um, and if it is you've got the cover if it isn't or it's specifically included under the exclusions whether or not you need to add that back into the policy um, okay and does that cover all kinds of abuse I think it, we would need to check I think it'd be difficult to know because some um yeah they're, they're very different differently worded depending on which insurer it is so it'd be fairly difficult to say without having a look um but some of the other things that aren't um included under a professional indemnity policy would be things like you know if you did something deliberately wrong um if you knew something was going to happen because obviously insurance is based on the fact that it's fortuitous and you don't know that it's going to happen um, and they tend to exclude things like terrorism. <laughs> Try um, not to engage in that, people. Definitely <laughs> really bad. Um, and um, things that are better insured elsewhere. So a professional indemnity policy wouldn't cover, you know, anything to do with motor vehicles, boats, employees, damage, you know, injury to people because they're covered under other policies. So they're it's quite quite specific so I think it's always worth having a check as I said though that does involve having to read an insurance policy I know but we all know we probably should you're paying for it you probably should read it shouldn't you I know they are contracts at the end of the day so yeah we do I think all I think our responsibility as the insurance industry is to make them easier to read yeah but yeah we're working on that one (laughs) <laughs> one, day <laughs> one woman is going to change all of that and that yes. is Catherine <laughs> I've got two children too so it's tricky <laughs> so, so a, a couple of policies I, I've heard people talk about and recommend um, but I don't know too much about are critical illness and income protection so I do have critical illness cover. I actually took it out when I was still working in the NHS mm. um, because a good friend of mine uh, developed multiple sclerosis um, and it was a real shock and she needed mm. to stop work quite abruptly and she did have a critical illness policy in place mm. my understanding is that paid out a lump sum which effectively paid her mortgage and took that pressure off the family I learned from that and decided to get my policy um, when I was very young which is good because it's cheaper when you're very young <laughs> um so I I do have that in place yeah but what I see people talking a lot about is income protection and I don't know how that those things are different how they work I'm going to be totally honest I am not entirely sure either because they are the sorts of products that you would buy from a financial advisor right rather than now whilst they're obviously backed by insurers as pensions are and things like that um yeah, you tend to go to a financial advisor for that. But you're quite right, definitely. I've got a critical illness policy um, and life insurance and all the other things that you have to get when you get to a certain age and you have a mortgage and all those other lovely things. Um, But yeah, the difference 
between income protection and critical illness. I don't know if there's any overlap or not. Mm. Um, so I could certainly dig some information out and, and you can link to that in your notes, but I wouldn't, I'd definitely not be qualified to, to give a, a more detailed answer. I'm very sorry. No, it'd be great if you could find something out mm. though, because yeah, yeah. I have this skepticism, natural skepticism about income protection, <laughs> um, <laughs> because what I believe it's supposed to do is pay out if, you know, for some reason you can't work. So they take Mm -hmm. the average of what you earn normally as a self-employed person and, and pay it to you. But I just can't help but feel like there's probably tons of exclusions that mean that anything that actually happened to you, they wouldn't pay out. Um, (laughs) But that is just me being a natural cynic. Um, No, 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 not at all. I think it's always good to to approach these things cautiously, but I, I mean, and I'm literally just, kind of thinking out loud is I wonder whether the difference is the illness part so Mm. if income protection protects you if you were made redundant or couldn't I don't know I'm not sure but I'm just wondering whether that might be one of the differences between them maybe but um but we'll we'll dig out some more info on that yeah um, because I have seen it talked about in some of our professional groups lately Mm. people advising people to get income protection and I thought oh I wonder if that's yeah, worth people have asked me that in the past as well, and I, I've, I've pointed them to a, a, a financial advisor, but I'm sure I've got something somewhere, so let me dig that out. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, so we were going to talk about how your insurance situation might need to change hmm. if you start doing different things in your business. So let's start with digital products. If hmm. we start adding things like online courses or ebooks into our business then would our insurance policies need to change um i think as you grow or your business changes then it's always worth reviewing your insurance um insurance policies may have a certain level of flex built into the policy so if you're the amount you've bought in, insurance bought it grows by 20 25% or something then the policy may allow for that you'd have to check um but it's always worth reviewing it and adding you know bringing up your broker or your insurer and saying right I'm doing this now what does that mean to my you know do I need to increase cover or you know it's a bit like if you bought a new piece of kit or you'd add it on or you know you buy a new computer or you you'd, you'd need to add that onto your policy um, so I think that's important now the digital products and courses, I'm guessing, you can correct me if I'm wrong, are giving people general information. They're not specific, ta- are they tailored advice? Is it similar to having a session? I suppose it's what what's the level of risk involved if I bought one of those digital products, downloaded it, what what would happen if, I don't know, I didn't think it worked or... I didn't do you know what I mean it's like it's it's thinking about what that possible what that risk could be to the person downloading it I mean I might want my money back I suppose yeah I mean there's there's, I suppose what it's complicated because there's two types of course Mm. broadly speaking that people might put out there the first type is a type that has a live element to it so you might create you know, a series of videos people engage with, but then also have a, a live weekly call where they can come and ask you questions. 
and, and get more of that specific and tailored advice. Yeah. Um, and then there are other courses which will be completely passively consumed, just videos yeah, and maybe recorded. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Videos and written materials. And that would yeah. be more generic advice where you're not you'd probably have disclaimers on there saying this isn't therapy. I don't know your personal yeah. situation. This is just helpful for everybody. Yeah. Um, so I suppose the kind of complaints you might get would be quite different. <laughs> yeah, they well, they can be wide and varied. <laughs> As I'm sure you are all aware. But I think that's that then that's kind of a case of, to, of making sure that your business description includes the fact that you provide digital courses or downloads so particularly for your professional indemnity insurance but see across the board that how you describe what you do to your insurer needs to include all those activities so it's face-to-face counseling you know your mentoring talking at events it's making sure that you include those in that business description Mm. um, and make sure that they understand that that's part of the service that you're providing yeah and actually I found when I've done that again off the back of your advice um, it didn't put my premiums up which was kind of remarkable because I thought what I'm doing all of this stuff that I didn't do last year and yet it all seems to be covered under the same bracket Hmm. Yeah, so I think it's just the the awareness, um, making sure that they know, you know, that they know what you're doing. Um, and one of the things that they are likely to want to know is um, is where your clients are. Mm. So this is the so, big one, isn't it? Yeah. So this is the biggie, and this is because <laughs> our um, our friends um, in America are much more likely to sue each other than uh, than we are over here. Um, so insurers will want to know when um, when you take out professional indemnity insurance, but also when you take out public liability insurance, because one of the things they tend to ask you then is what your turnover is. Um, and they are probably going to ask you that for your professional indemnity or they want to know your fees or, you know, your fee income and how that is structured. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh, my God, I've got no insurance whatsoever. And now I think I need all of those things they've just talked about. Um, one of the things to think about is your is your turnover, but also how that's broken down. So is that 100 percent earned from clients that are in the UK or are 50% of your clients in the UK and 50% are in North America, or it could be that, you know, they're split across um, America, Canada, Europe, and then they catch, they, they kind of have, the main categories are UK, USA and Canada, Europe, rest of the world. So, um, and they do that so they can calculate how much of a risk it is. Mm. because the stuff in the USA and Canada is they just perceive to be higher risk because there's more chance of a claim being made against you purely because of the litigious nature of their society you know they do a lot of that um suing each other so yeah <laughs> so it's definitely something to, to consider um but I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily let that put anybody off it's just how the the premiums and the prices are calculated yeah, that makes sense. And I, I, I would say that it reflects my experience <laughs> um, <laughs> because 
I found that when I started putting out digital products, some of them were being sold to people in the US. I think this is actually when we had our first conversation where I was like, oh no, <laughs> somebody in the US <laughs> has downloaded one of my ebooks. Oh no. Um, so I did have to have that conversation with Oxygen um, and it did double my premiums to, to have that. But actually I decided that was going to be worth it because um, I anticipated that part of my business growing mm. and, it, and it has done. I don't have loads of clients from the US. I don't have any therapy clients in the US that would not mm. be covered because we're not licensed in their um, particular yeah. state, which yeah. is another oh, whole complex professional issue. Mm. Um, but I do occasionally have um, coaching clients, psychologists and therapists who are based in the US um, yeah from um yeah from the US um and I do certainly sell some of my digital products mm. over there so I wanted to have that ability to to do that in my business yeah and um, so it was worth it and all it took really was a conversation and they added it on yeah. but it's not usually automatically there for us no. in our professional indemnity policies because they haven't quite woken up to the fact that a lot of us are and producing digital content which could be bought by anybody mm, and that's a good point because the policy will have the geographical limits written into the policy which will automatically be uh, British Isles um, and probably limited to that in fact so it, it's definitely worth um, considering that but I mean for the same reason all obviously all my experience in insurance is UK based so I get, you know, somebody signs up to my mailing list or like asks me a question and I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't help you. <laughs> it's like, I think I probably know the answer, but it's so differently regulated and they call different types of insurance different things over there. So it's just like, no, I will stay in my lane and just stick to the UK. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, very wise. Um, but I think that will hopefully help a lot of people who maybe are struggling to get off the starting blocks with creating digital products mm. because of that anxiety of not knowing yeah. kind of, you know, anyone could download it from any country really. So, so it is about making sure your insurance company knows you're offering that and yeah. asking what it would be to add on mm. all these yeah. other places. And actually I added on all the other places and my premium didn't go up very much, yeah. you know, a couple of quid added on the U S and it doubled. <laughs> um but like I said it was it was worth it um yeah. so so have that conversation I think is the message yeah I, th I definitely think so yeah there are you know we are people and um believe it or not insurance is a people business so yeah could give them a call and, and and have a chat through with it with them definitely yeah yeah okay so one of the things I feel like we haven't talked about is cyber insurance yes yeah, this is important. Um, when yeah. do we need that? <laughs> well, uh, I, I really, really strongly recommend anybody who has got a computer, a website, a mailing list, uh, you know, even social media followings has cyber insurance. Um, because unfortunately, the number of small business owners that are being subject to you know hacking ransomware data theft 
Um, you know, unfortunately, it's growing. We are all targets. People want data. Data is worth money and people will steal it. Um, you know, and unfortunately, they'll say, give us five grand and you can have your data back. Well, very rarely do you get your data back. Um, you know, and that is stressful. Um, I mean, I wouldn't know what to do. Um, I would pick up the phone to my insurer and say, bought this policy you sorted out um, which is precisely why I bought the policy because picking up the phone to an IT consultant or somebody and asking them to fix it for you is is expensive um, so cyber insurance is designed to protect you should you be hacked or various um, you know ways that people can steal your data if you left your laptop on a train you know all those kinds of things to protect your data um, and that would cover the costs of um, making sure that um, your systems are secure, that if there are, you know, if somebody's sat in your system, they are removed, they're gone, they can't get back in. Rest, you know, if they can restore the data, then they will. Um, it can also cover things like reputational damage, because there could be a PR aspect to the fact that you've lost clients' data. Um, you know, people are, you know, the whole GDPR um, you know, that we all lived through. Um, everybody's much more aware of who's got their data and what they're doing with it and how they're protecting it. Um, so I think it's worth investigating. Um, and I think like professional indemnity insurance as well, I think it demonstrates to your clients that you're serious about protecting their well-being, their data, and, and you know, you've, you've got all that, all that covered, I suppose. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's definitely worth having a look at. And again, it can be added on to a policy that you've already got, or it can be bought as a standalone insurance policy. Um, I think that, that, um, you know, that could just be what saves you when, uh, if, you know, the worst happens. Yeah, it's really <laughs> valuable because I, I know I very much advocate for, and I hope that if you're listening to this, this is what you do. Um, we we tend to not secure anything on our personal machines. We tend to store all of our data in secure GDPR compliant cloud storage. Um, I personally try and have no files um, on my laptop, partly because it can't handle any files, <laughs> um, but also because you, you just don't want that data in your house, I think. You want it on a secure server somewhere that somebody else is responsible for. But would I know what to do? If I got an email saying, um, oh, ConvertKit, for example, my email marketing software has been hacked mm. and all of, all of those securely held email addresses um, have um, now been yeah. sold, um, that would be a PR nightmare. You know, I've got like 5,000 people's information on there. Yeah, that would be terrible. And just knowing that I could pick up the phone and say, what, what is my liability here? What should I do? What steps should I take? Is there anything that you can do? That is so reassuring to me. I'm so happy to have that. It is, uh, it is definitely a peace of mind one because I think um, there's some real horror stories about what's happened, you know, some of the cyber attacks um a friend of mine worked for a um let's call them a luxury fashion outlet mm. <laughs> as we probably <laughs> shouldn't name them um 
and somebody got into their the system of their uh, their email system so the one that all the managers were using ceo everybody in they got into his email account and they um didn't do anything for six months they just sat there and watched the traffic coming in and out in and out and in that period the business restructured all its um payment authority sign-off procedure so the hackers were sat there watching and they had all the steps they had to go through to get payments signed off oh my gosh yeah oh it's terrifying yeah my husband actually listens to a cybersecurity podcast um and so when he's home I occasionally walk past the kitchen and just get a wave of nauseating terror (laughs) about Mm. the kind of crazy things that people will do well there was one I heard at a seminar I went to ages ago about um people not changing passwords so there was a brewery who had a like an external um program that controlled how much beer was in all the I don't know what they're called, drums, kegs, whatever those huge things are that they keep beer in. And Carol. About, well, it was even bigger, you know, like when it's actually brewing in those huge things. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was this, I can't remember who, it was like a semen system or something like that, but they'd never changed the password. So a hacker just went in and just literally put in password one or whatever it was, it worked, and they emptied all the beer out and it all went down the drain. Oh my god, that is so sad. <laughs> and number of levels so scary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, change your passwords. Yeah. Uh, gosh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Definitely. But yeah, it's um it's it yes, the 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 level of disruption those things can cause. Well, I mean, you know, you know, people going offline and things like that, it's um yeah, it can be really disruptive, particularly if you know if your website goes down and, and that's your your source of income. Mm. So, um, it's definitely yeah. worth getting cyber insurance take home mm. message yeah uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about mm. is are there different insurance requirements for sole traders and limited companies it's a very good question um legally I mean there's no other requirement other than to make sure that you've got employers liability insurance um but actually, there are different types of cover. Um, and one I wrote a blog, excuse me, a blog I wrote recently actually was about directors and officers liability. So if you're a limited company and you have directors, senior managers, um, etc., they um, are personally liable if a mistake is made. So it's often assumed um, incorrectly that personal directors of a company are not liable for the mistakes um but (laughs) this is a little bit scary even in a limited company the personal liability of the individual directors is unlimited right so does that mean like your personal professional liability or your financial liability well yes that could it could mean both oh god yes (laughs) terrifying (laughs) yeah so what a lot of people do is buy directors and officers liability if they're a limited company um which would then um cover them for um the financial costs of action taken against them um if um they're required by law to to cover the costs basically okay 
So, um, so definitely for um, for limited companies now, sole traders um, don't need to buy directors and officers liability, but they might equally want something like um, legal expenses cover, should they have any you know any kind of accusations made against them that could be like a contract dispute or or something similar to that, um, where they've got that legal advice helpline. Um, kind of at their fingertips to help um, support them through any of that um, but I can definitely send you I did write a, like I said I wrote a blog post about directors um, and officers liability so I'll, I'll send you the link for that and and people can have a read of that because that kind of takes you through how you can buy it who needs it what it covers you against what it doesn't cover you for um, in, in much greater length than you probably want me to cover now <laughs> No, that's great. And I'll definitely put that in the show notes because a lot of us, we start out as sole traders and then might become limited companies um, further down the track. Mm. And often, you know, I, I knew, well, so mine is a CIC, but it's similar in terms of insurance, I think. Yeah. Um, so I had to, I knew I had to phone up my insurers and let them all know that we changed structure and, mm. and that was all fine. But I had no idea that there was separate cover that you could get for directors and officers liability and I think that's really important to to look into and that was pretty much the reaction I got when I wrote the blog was people like I didn't even know I could get this um which uh, you know is is probably another good reason for me to actually repeat that and post it again (laughs) but um Mm -hmm. yeah and it it, I don't know it's it seems to me and and this might just be my um my opinion is in the insurance like in commercial insurance so kind of medium to larger businesses it's talked about all the time people buy it all the time but people aren't talking to small business owners about it it's like why are we not you know we're talking about professional indemnity a lot more which we didn't used to you know cyber insurance which I'm telling anybody who'll listen um (laughs) directors and offer you know there's there's these things that people need to know and then they can make an informed decision about whether they need it or not Mm. and I think there's a misconception that being a limited company provides you with more protection than it does yeah that it limits your liability in more ways than it actually does so I think it's really important um, that we've talked about some of the things you're not protected for and how you could get insurance to actually protect you definitely and also again it's that it's that um the reputation as well it's like people will people will won't become directors of companies unless the company has a directors and officers insurance policy because they don't want to suddenly sign up for something and then you know lose their shirt as, as their saying goes yeah that's another good perspective actually if yeah. somebody invites you to become a director then yeah. maybe that's a question you need to ask you know do you have this in place absolutely yeah yeah, yeah, that's really important. A similar thing would be for trustees of charities and things like that. There's all sorts of different indemnities you can get for, for charity trustees and things like that. So, yeah, definitely, yes. That's really helpful to know about. Important one. Okay, last question, I promise. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's just come into my head. Uh-oh. I know that <laughs> a lot of people who will be listening to this will be starting to offer training or consultancy perhaps to corporate organizations okay is that something that needs to come under a separate policy or could our professional indemnity cover that if we just let them know about it 
Yeah, I think so. I don't think that you'd need anything different because your public liability would cover you if you're going into their offices to provide training um, and you, you know, pour coffee over somebody or cause damage or injury to anybody. Um, they might ask you, you know, the contract might specify a certain amount of cover. Um, and again, the professional indemnity, they might want a specific level of cover. But um, as long as that's included in the description of your activities, then I can't imagine why it's any different going into a, you know, a corporate business um, as it is to going into a small local one. Yeah, I mean, that's reassuring. Yeah. So I'm glad to finish on something yeah. <laughs> reassuring. I think, we should. I think you know, I, I don't think anyone should be put off by working with corporates. I think, yeah, there's a, a huge opportunity there for you guys to, to work with them, definitely. Absolutely. And um, I think when I rung up Oxygen about it, the only thing they wanted to clarify with me was that I was not going to be giving um, <laughs> this massive financial institution financial advice. <laughs> I was like, no, probably that would be overstepping. <laughs> if I was like, do you know what you need to do with your business plan? Insert name of massive bank. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah not 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 yeah. something I was no, no I try to, to steer away from that kind of thing and <laughs> <laughs> um, so you might need to clarify that with them over the phone but oh yeah um, you might yeah but We're otherwise not going to teach them how to do their own job <laughs> <laughs> probably not um so Catherine you've been super super helpful we've talked about all of the different types of insurance that people need to make sure that they have in their practice at different stages of their practice growth which is brilliant um, but I think there's probably going to be people listening to this who want some more advice from you and want to track you down online <laughs> so where can people find you if they want to work with you easily done um yes I am on um Instagram as Catherine France UK um and I'm on LinkedIn as well I do love a bit of LinkedIn um as Catherine France um, and Twitter is at Kath France, not normally shortening my name, but Twitter wouldn't allow it any other way. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my website is katherinefrance.com. So um, I will send you the links. Um, there's a link on there to book in if you want to do a one-to-one, if people need a little bit more help. Um, they're £39 um, and we go through your bespoke needs and then you get a, a set of notes and and the recording if you want it um but yeah that tends to work well for people that do want something just a little bit more specific um whether they've got nothing at all or whether their renewals coming up and they want to just check they've got the right cover so yeah feel free to to drop me a line it'd be nice to hear from some of you yeah and I really recommend one of Catherine's consultations I think if you've got any anxiety about this at all let Catherine take your anxiety away <laughs> it's fantastic I feel like a therapist myself now I'm like the insurance <laughs> therapist very similar role yeah uh, <laughs> so thank you so much for joining us today Catherine and sharing so much value and I'm sure we'll have you back to talk some more about insurance and another time <laughs> I should look forward to that thank you very much Rosie it's been a pleasure Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Business of Psychology podcast. If you share my passion for doing more than therapy, then make sure you come over and join my free Do More Than Therapy Facebook community, where you can work on getting your big ideas off the ground with like-minded psychologists and therapists. 
I'd also love it if you could leave this show a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will help more of the people who need it to find it. See you next week for more tips and inspirational stories to help you do more than therapy. Therapy.